the choice song of our guest presenter today. It's always uh, something quite charming to like figure out what is it that our guest presenter is going to ask for. Well, we'll find out in a moment. Who is he? He's a man who was born and educated in the United Kingdom. He holds a BA in philosophy and theology from New College, Oxford, an MA in philosophy from the University of London. He's a PhD candidate at UKZN. He's a commentator. He's uh, been and was for five years the director of the Jesuit Institute, working to bring a faith perspective to debates on social issues. And at that time, he was also facilitating courses in values-based leadership, um, both in South African and uh, American business schools, which is where I met him originally. He is now the Director, the first director of the Dennis Hurley Center, a brand new community center. Well, not so brand new anymore, five years old now, at the heart of Durban, working with different faith groups to help the poor and people who are marginalized in the city. Who is he? He is Raymond Perrier. Raymond, thank you so much for joining the Jet Set Breakfast. Michelle, it's lovely to hear your voice and so wonderful to be invited. Thank you. <laughs> I have to say, everybody in the team is like, we all feel like we know Raymond already. They like, really like have loved engaging with you. So thank you so much. <laughs> and, I, and I'm so pleased you chose this week because normally this week we'd be in Grahamstown shivering, uh, uh, huddled around a drink and, and talking about all the wonderful shows. So I know. Isn't we can that... do it virtually this year, I realize. Yes. But it's not the same as being, being with you and all the other, all the other uh, uh, artists in Grahamstown. <laughs> Raymond, you did, uh, talking of that, you did choose as your first song, um, Mame, and Open a New Window, the musical. Tell us a little bit about that choice. Well, I hope uh, people got the sense of the, uh, the, the, the sentiment of the song, all about looking for new opportunities and not being scared to, uh, to embrace change and embrace new challenges. And obviously, we've had a lot of change, a lot of challenges over the last <laughs> few months with COVID. So this sort of optimistic view of change is one which, I, which, is, which is very much part of my life. Uh, but there was a particular reason for choosing this song from this musical. Uh, Mame is one of the many musicals by the fabulous, fabulous uh, writer uh, Jerry Herman and died uh, just last year. And uh, those musicals were brought to, uh, to the stage in South Africa by the late Joan Brickhill. Yes. And when I arrived in South Africa in 2010, I had the immense honor of spending uh, a lot of time with Joan in her final years, uh, spending time in her beautiful house in Parktown, which I know you knew very well, yeah. uh, hearing about the stories and then seeing photos of the people that she worked with, who were my childhood heroes, Shirley MacLaine hmm. and Sammy Davis Jr. and Liberal and hearing her tell the stories was, was, was as close as I would ever come to knowing those people. And Joan was a complete, I mean, she was a, she was a star in the real sense um, and immensely generous, immensely kind. Uh, and, of course, a link with Durban. She's from Durban originally. And where I live in North Beach is just around the corner from what used to be Brick Hill Road, named yes. after her grandfather. And, in fact, I have a statue in my house which, which Joan uh, left me in her will. So there's a little bit of Joan still in the <laughs> of the former Brickhill Road. Um, Raymond, so that was a, that was a, a Joan Brickhill tribute. Um, I, and particularly, I know you knew her well, and there'd be many, many listeners yeah. who knew her and loved her. And yeah. we must remember these, these characters from the past because they, uh, uh, they're, they're part of our, our collective history. Wow, you know, you, there's, there's so many pick-up points from just what you've said, you know. Pick up, the, you know, the idea of um, people from our collective history, and we will get to Dennis Hurley in a moment. Um, you know, when I met you, you were... 
actually heading up the Jesuit Institute. And it really was a phenomenal time for me to meet you because I found what, what, you, were, what you were talking about with regards to faith-based perspectives and how we need to look at values-based leadership and the like was, was very powerful. And I mean, even more so now. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that time for you because you really are someone who has gone from the private sector, massive companies, American Express, British Airways, the likes, um, to something like the Jesuit Institute and then moved on to the Dennis Hurley Center, all of which are about leadership-based, well, maybe not the the, the corporate sector, but certainly the others, about um, leadership-based in the world of faith. Yes, so, so I suppose my experience in the corporate sector uh, was was both observing leadership and then being in positions of leadership. Yeah. And, and as a consultant, I was usually working with chief executives and, and CFOs and so on. So I was, so was seeing leadership uh, up close and personal. I mean, the, the very first business person I met in South Africa was Johan Rupert. So, so, so those are the kind of people who I, was, I got the chance to observe and saw some great models of leadership, saw some terrible, terrible models of leadership. Uh, in the Jesuit Institute, I had the chance to, to take that experience add to it some of the, uh, the, the, the Jesuit insights over four centuries about leadership, much of which we now see in the life of, of Pope Francis, mm. but also draw on other religious traditions. And I think that's one of the great things about South Africa is that there is this fantastic uh, uh, partnership and uh, uh, coexistence between the different religious traditions. And now in, at the Dennis Hurley Center, I'm having to put that into, into practice, uh, yeah. both being a leader of this organization and working with other leaders in the city, uh, government leaders, uh, NGOs, leaders, faith leaders. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm a great believer that uh, leadership, of course, is something that we all do all the time. Uh, you don't have to have a title to be, uh, to be a leader. Uh, it's about how you behave and how you influence other people. Um, and, uh, uh, and the more conscious we are of that and the more we do that with intent and with an understanding of what our underlying values are, the, uh, the clearer it is. Uh, I was facing a, an interesting dilemma here in, in, in uh, the Dennis Hurley Center recently, and somebody, somebody I admire greatly, a fantastically successful business person, um, uh, made a comment to me. He said, but it's really obvious to me what the answer is. Either you can keep X happy, the particularly important person in the city, or you can stand by your principles. And it was clear to me what he thought I should do. And I said, well, that's perfect, because now you've framed it in those terms. It's really obvious to me what I should do, which is <laughs> that I stand by my principles, uh, because that's all Always, you, you don't. What's the point of having principles if you sacrifice them? Then they're absolutely, not yeah. Raymond, um, may I dig here? And you're welcome to say that this is not necessarily something you want to answer. But I was interested to read that you were a trainee Jesuit priest, and I wanted to ask, not um, knowing much uh, or not a lot about um, the Jesuit faith, did you choose to not become a priest and to leave the Jesuit faith? What what was the decision? Yes, so the Jesuits are not a separate faith. The Jesuits are a, a, a regiment, if you like, of priests within the Catholic Church. And as I hinted earlier, the, the most famous Jesuit in the world now is Pope Francis, yes. the first Jesuit ever to become, become Pope. So, yeah. so, so Jesuits are very much at the center 
of the Catholic Church, but also at the margins of the Church. So part of the, the tradition of the Jesuits is to work in some of the, the edgier areas of ministry. Uh, so, for example, the Jesuits have got a fantastic NGO working with refugees around the world, including yeah. in, South, in South Africa. Uh, the Jesuits have, uh, have done lots of really interesting educational work over the, over the centuries. But the Jesuits also, for example, have led on things like ministry to the gay and lesbian community. So, so, so they do things which, uh, uh, which, which, which uh, perhaps take people a little bit outside their comfort zones. Brilliant. So, uh, so I encountered the Jesuits when I was living in New York and running this huge uh, ad agency on Fifth Avenue, 160 people, I mean, you know, managing these enormous accounts. I, 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 I stumbled into the Jesuits. Some would say that God drew me there. And, and that really changed my life. Um, I joined the Jesuits and was training with them for six years. Uh, the most phenomenal, phenomenal uh, experience, uh, including two years working in a refugee camp in Uganda. Um, and I decided after those six years, I didn't want to pursue the, the, uh, the line of becoming a priest, but still wanted to stay very involved in the Catholic Church and in, and in Catholic charities. So I've stayed yeah. almost all, all of my work since then has been with various uh, uh, Catholic charities. So, uh, so I still very much am connected with the Jesuits, a lot of great Jesuit friends, Father Russell Pollitt, the, uh, the current yes. uh, director of the Jesuit Institute, is doing fantastic work writing. I mean, some of the stuff he writes in the Daily Maverick is superb. He's a really, really inspiring man. Yeah. Um, but also a, uh, a great uh, service they do in teaching people how to pray and teaching people how to reflect. Um, sure. And uh, I don't know if you recall, that was one of the most interesting things when we were doing that work at, uh, at both Vitz Business School and Gibbs, uh, teaching people to stop and listen to the silence and listen to those inner voices, the voices that we, that we often avoid because we're scared of what they'll say to us. Yeah. So let's find out a bit about that. What does faith mean for you? And if we look at the concept of teaching people how to pray and reflect, it does not necessarily mean that you are praying to a God, whatever the case may be, but it is a communion between yourself and a greater force, whatever the case may be. Tell us a bit about what that means for you. Yes. So I suppose I have a very, a, a very conventional view. I, I'm a believer in, in the existence of God, not, mm. not an old man in the sky with a beard, but rather a, a, a preeminent, uh, uh, the preeminent force, the mm. source, source of everything, uh, which means the source of every human being, not just me, but every human being I encounter. And that's the first challenge. How do I treat every person I see as, uh, as the face of God? Um, and I, for me, I see that very much as a... Uh, as an invitation and a challenge. So, so for whatever reason, I happen to have been born into a very comfortable uh, environment, uh, fabulous parents who I hope are tuning in from, from, from uh, uh, the UK via, via the, uh, the streaming service. Um, uh, very good education, uh, uh, reasonably uh, skilled in various ways. So my sense is that I've been given those gifts, not because I deserve them, but because God wants me to do something with them. Yeah. So the question I'm always asking myself is, well, what does God want me to do with them, not just in the big, in the big picture, but every day? Every, uh, uh, open, open a new window every day. What is it that God wants me to do with these, this time, these talents, this opportunity today? Um, so I suppose for me, faith is very much about purpose. Yes. The purpose of my life. And, and the frame with which I encounter the people around me. So here I am in the center of Durban, right next to our, our Catholic cathedral, which is called Emmanuel, and of course linked to Christmas and Natal. And Emmanuel, you'll recall from the, from the Christmas story, means God is with us. And I always explain, particularly to the young people who come here when they volunteer from schools, 
God is with us is a very good way of understanding what we do here. God is with us because we couldn't do the work we do with homeless people and with refugees and with drug users if God wasn't with us. God is with us because we are the hands of God and the presence of God in this place. So yeah. we make God real in this part of this part of the world. But God is also is also with us in the face of each of the people we encounter. And if we can't see God in the face of each homeless person and each refugee, then we're not doing God's work. You can hand out as many meals as you like. You can do as much health care as you want. But if you don't see the face of God in each of those people, then you're not doing God's work. That's my, that's my very strong, my strong view. Sure. You know, I want to get back to purpose, but uh, you talk about homeless people. And we've just had a tweet from uh, WhatsApp from someone saying between October 27 and 20. 2017 and February 2018, I had to make use of Dennis Hurley Center's kitchen and ablution box. I was also involved in the uh, facilities. I was also involved in the car wash initiative. I know Raymond, Kathy, and the rest of the team. They helped me. Today, I am not homeless, but a clerk of the court in the Western Cape. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's fantastic. I I think I know the person who, who sent that. That is just lovely. Wow. Oh, my goodness, brings a tear to the eye. Uh, it certainly does. And you know what, Raymond, it raises for me, and we've had conversations about this on other occasions, um, the idea of, of dealing with people who have, as per the person who's just WhatsApped us as well, is that you might be marginalized, but you are as much engaged in society as someone who is not marginalized, as we see particularly from a storyline like this. Tell us about the kinds of things that you are doing at the wonderful Dennis Hurley Center, which I have to say is the most amazing space. Thank you, thank you. And we do hope, by the way, we, we've talked about this before, that one uh, uh, one weekend you'll come down and do a, do an outside broadcast from here because there's so much going on around. You can just create an entire program just from people stumbling into the building. <laughs> so, we, so we do very, very obvious things. We feed people. We served 100,000 meals last year. Almost all of that work done, I should say, by, by volunteers and food donated by, by ordinary individuals. We run a healthcare program, primary healthcare. Uh, we saw 30,000 patients last year, homeless people, refugees, drug users, people who wouldn't otherwise get access to primary healthcare. So we're doing effectively frontline basic care to make sure that people survive and they, uh, and they, and they thrive. But then beyond that, we want to we want to obviously take that further. So we've got counselling skills, we've got social workers, we have pastoral, uh, spiritual support, and also training programs. Uh, the uh, uh, the guy who texted in mentioned the the car washing program. Our most successful one at the moment. We're so proud of this. Is homeless guys selling secondhand books? Yes, that's on the, the one I wanted to talk to you about. Oh my god! Just it's just <laughs> everything about it makes me. I mean, who could not love a project which gets books in the hands of people and helps people to read? It's okay, so tell tell our listeners about this particular project again. So, so the key issue we have here is most homeless people in Durban are young men who came to the city looking for work, didn't find work, mm. and that's why they end up on the streets. It's, it's the yeah. recurrent story that we hear, hear from people. They're not particularly, they're, they're no better or worse educated than the general population. Uh, they're, not, they're, they're, they're no lazier than the general population. They, they want to work. They want to do stuff. Once they end up on the streets, uh, it's a real struggle. They often lose their IDs. Sadly, often their belongings are stolen by the police or, or, or burnt by the police. Um, they, uh, there's, a, there's a high level of unemployment anyway, so they're the, they're the ones least likely to get into formal employment. 
So we keep looking for ways of getting people financially stable, which, is, which is, doesn't require formal employment, but enables them to be self-employed. And we tried the, 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 the traditional model of getting homeless people to sell newspapers. We worked very closely with the Mercury and Yogis Nair, the editor there uh, in Durban, who was a great supporter. It worked up to a point, but people just don't buy newspapers enough uh, these days. Yeah. And then Anivesh Singh, who was a local uh, publisher and, uh, and, 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 and book uh, fundi, said to us, have you ever thought of selling books? Now, this is all the interesting thing about this work. You, you plan and you plot and you read all the, all, the, all the journals and the rest of it, and then actually the best ideas are the accidental ones. So we thought, well, let's give it a go. And we have just motored with this. And the reason is, it's, it, it, you're bringing together a number, of, a number of, of factors. You have people who want to sell, and we train them, and we give them the skills to do so. We have an unlimited supply of really, really fantastic quality books, because there are people living in big houses in the suburbs who are moving into sheltered accommodation or into retirement homes, and they don't want their books pulped, and sadly, their children don't want their book collections. So we get, literally, we, we are swimming in books. I mean, it's just wonderful how many books we have. But but here's the key thing. We have people who want to read books and can't afford them. Bear in mind, buying a new paperback in a bookshop is the equivalent of a day and a half's wages for most yeah. people in South Africa. Absolutely. So clearly you're not going to do that. So people don't have books, not because they don't want to read, but they can't afford them. Yep. We're selling quality books to them for five or ten rand yep. uh, a time. There's an amazing statistic from the South African Book Council. 60% of South African households, that's six out of ten households, do not have a single book at home other than the Bible. So imagine all of those people who want to read. So our most successful sales are actually on the streets outside the Dennis Hurley Center, around the workshop, on the, uh, on the beachfront. People who will happily uh, snap up a, a quality novel for five or ten rand, enjoy the book, and then, and then pass it on. But our guys are selling at the uh, Philharmonic Orchestra concerts. The, the, the KZNPO have been great partners of ours. They sell at the Playhouse and the other arts venues, obviously. They hope they will again when they, when they reopen. Um, so part of what, what's exciting about this is you've got a guy who until a few weeks ago was sleeping on the streets who's discussing literary tastes with <laughs> some retired professor at the Philharmonic. And the guy yeah. says, oh, yes, I, I rather like Trollope. And a week later, uh, Cahiso brings back a whole pile of Trollope books. So, of course, how can the man refuse? So he buys them. So, so you've got this fantastic relationship. And what's happening is people are treating the homeless not as victims, not as, as litter to be cleared off the streets, but as they absolutely should, which is fellow citizens of Durban, people who have as much of a right to be in the city as they exactly. do, and with whom they can connect. We find, we find that books is a way, are a way of, of, of providing a, a common, common platform. And a great, great partnership with this. St. John's, uh, who are a great organization around the country, they provide a, a storeroom for us. Ella Thompson, you know, you know the, the publicist, is our great yes. motivator to, uh, to, to find venues for us. So, uh, and, and, the, and churches are really keen, again, when they reopen, to host book sales and schools and arts events. So if there's anyone in the Durban area who has a venue where we can sell books, Please get in touch with us because our, we've got a great, uh, great backstock now of books because of lockdown. We've got booksellers who are desperate to get out there. Yeah. We've got a number of malls. Uh, if I can mention a couple, Westville Mall is supporting us, Berea Center, uh, Pick and Pay Hyper. There are many more malls where we want to be selling. Um, and this is all about getting books in the hands of people so they can read. Oh, what a I, joy. I love it. The first time I heard the story, I mean, I must say, Raymond, it really inspired me to no end. Raymond, you know, you, you, you've highlighted something which is making me think there's a, there's, there's, a, 
thing called asset-based community development, ABCD. And the way ABCD works is that it talks to a space of opportunity as a space as opposed to as a, having a, a space of nothing. So you talk about um, people who have a right to be in the city as much as anybody else. And uh, and what, what that means um, around the opportunity that is around us all the time. I wonder if you could maybe yes. just talk to that with regards yes. to the work that you're doing. Yes, so, so, and, and, and using the guys on the streets to identify those assets. Yeah. Um, so, for, so, so they're the ones who know the people who are on the streets, know who's walking around, know where the, the, the best places to sell are. Yeah. Uh, we've been really well supported in this project by the FAB Foundation, uh, who've been big funders, but also providing expertise and capacity building and so on. And when they invited us to, to come up to, uh, to Joburg for, for a workshop on that, much to their surprise, we brought two of the booksellers with us. Yeah. And, uh, and one of my prime moments of last year was when we turned up at the, at the, the Hilton in San um, and the two, book, the two booksellers, uh, uh, Pat and Richard, who again, only a few months ago, had been literally living on the streets, checked into their rooms <laughs> and they couldn't believe the, uh, the, uh, the environment they were in. Um, and, so in the, and so we actually did kind of asset, asset-based uh, discussions with the, uh, not just us, but some of the other social entrepreneurs who were there, yeah. and looking uh, at the assets we have and recognizing all the time. It's very easy to draw up a list of all the things you haven't got, got exactly. but, uh, but we, we, we have to work harder to identify the things that we have got and can make use of. And I guess I learned that when I, when I was living in a refugee camp. I mean, it, it, it sounds bizarre, but I spent two years living in a refugee camp in northern Uganda, no water, no electricity, no roads, no internet, no phone access. It was like the Stone Age. I mean, it really was. But we had assets. And the assets we had, uh, the, uh, the amazing southern Sudanese young people I worked with yeah. knew what the assets they had were. And, and, and leverage them. And, and one of the key assets they had was life and joy and energy, and they put it into everything they, they did. Sure. We're going to go to sport, but when we come back, we're talking to Raymond Perrier, our guest uh, for today, and he is the first director of the Dennis Hurley Center. He comes from a very diverse background of engagement in the world and certainly has some great stories to tell as well. It's 9.31. The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM, destination unknown. My name is Michelle Constant, and our guest today is Raymond Perrier, who's the director of the Dennis Hurley Centre in KwaZulu-Natal, actually in Etoqueni, just next to the bridge and next to the church there. Raymond, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about uh, with regards to the Dennis Hurley Centre is the work that it does with people from around the city. I suppose we need to look at who this man, Dennis Hurley, was. And one of the books that you've chosen for today is around Dennis Hurley. Indeed, yes. So uh, uh, I was asked to choose a book and uh, absolutely uh, uh, the the obvious one, maybe too obvious, but was uh, the biography of Dennis Hurley, uh, The Guardian of the Light, the name that uh, that, uh, Alan Payton gave him, um, uh, written by Paddy Carney, who was Hurley's right-hand man, his biographer, the founder of the Dennis Hurley Center, uh, the person who brought me to Durban and sadly passed away a couple of years ago. So Dennis Hurley was the Catholic Archbishop of Durban for 45 years when he was made bishop. He was only 31 years old, the youngest bishop in the entire world. Uh, he 
was almost 90 when he died, so he was around for a very, very long time. Uh, and in fact, his life more or less spans the, the century. Born in, uh, born in 1915, died in 2004. So he saw the, the rise and the fall of apartheid and, uh, and was one of the key f- uh, uh, religious figures fighting against it. Uh, Desmond Tutu has spoken about how it's the inspiration of people like Hurley and Bez Nodir, his great, uh, his great friend, uh, um, who, uh, uh, who inspired other religious leaders to really uh, speak out against, uh, against apartheid. He was a fearless man, an extraordinary, extraordinary talent, uh, a man who knew everybody. One of the great things about this work is how often I meet people who say, oh yes, Dennis Hurley married my parents, he baptized me, he visited my school, he came to my mm. mosque. I mean, he was, just, he was just connected with everybody and everything. Uh, he ended up as chancellor of, uh, of uh, what's now UKZN, uh, as his, uh, in his in his retirement. Um, and he was, uh, to use that, uh, that famous uh, Kipling quote, a man who could walk with, co- uh, walk with kings nor lose the common touch. So he was as, as uh, easy with people on the streets, uh, with refugees, as he was with uh, presidents and, and popes. So he died in 2004, and there was a very strong desire to create something that would be a living legacy to who he was and what he stood for. So, so not just a museum, although we do have a, a wonderful museum here in the building, but a building which would be uh, full of activity and life. Uh, the, the quote on the foundation stone from, uh, from uh, uh, John 1010, I have come that you may have life to the full. So this is a, this is a building of life. Um, and what's really important is that all of the religious groups in Durban from the beginning saw this as a joint enterprise. So although also the, the, the cardinal, the, the current Archbishop of Durban, is the chair of the patrons, the other patrons are uh, Reuben Phillips, the former Anglican bishop, the former Methodist bishop, Ella Gandhi, uh, uh, A.V. Muhammad from the uh, Muslim community, uh, uh, Rabbi Hillel, uh, and so on. So, so all of the religious, uh, the religious leaders working together, because what we see in this building is the ability of people of faith and of all faiths and none, as we say, to work side by side to serve the poor. And when you're serving the poor, there is no, there is no reason why differences in theology should, uh, should get in the way. So we have a bit of a running joke here. It's, it, 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 it's a silly joke, but it's, but it's absolutely true that in most places in the world, if you had a Jew and a Muslim and a Christian, and you gave them knives, they'd be killing each other. <laughs> but in the Dennis Hurley Center, they start chopping vegetables because they have to prepare lunch. Oh. And that is literally, literally what happens here. You know, um, Ra- uh, Ra- Raymond, I just want to jump in and say you, you talk about how Dennis Hurley was connected with everyone. Um, he was also the, the headmaster of a school called Thomas Moore. Um, his, which his, might, his, his brother, Chris Hurley, his brother was, was it Chris the, the Hurley who, who was was it Thomas More, because they they sing his praises there as well. Or like over many years back, um, he really does seem to have made his mark in so many different places. Yes, it's extraordinary. Yes, yes. he also this is, this is a bit of a, a strange factoid. He is probably the most widely read Durban author in the world. Now that sounds rather a peculiar claim. Wow. The, re- the reason is that uh, as, as 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 people might know, up until the 1960s, uh, Catholic services were all held in Latin, and then the decision was made, and, and Hurley was part of that major council that made the decision. The services should, should be in the local language, 
And it was Hurley's inspiration that there should be one form of the English text. So rather than having a South African version and a British version, an Australian version, an American yeah. version, that there should be a consistent English text around the world. And he was given the task by the then Pope, uh, St. Paul VI, to create the, the, the international uh, English language text that was used for, for over 20 years. And, 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 and sitting in an office in Durban without email, without the internet, but just faxing things around the world, yes. he managed this extraordinary <laughs> task of persuading thousands of bishops around the world to agree to a single English language text that, uh, that, uh, that would be used. So his words were, were more widely spoken, I suspect, than any other, any other Durban-based author. I love that. Who is your first guest? You know, they always say that if you are the director of a company, you should uh, have a good relationship uh, with your chairperson. And uh, I'm wondering if this is part of that question and part of that uh, theme. Tell us about your first guest. Indeed. So my first guest, it, it happens to be uh, the, the, the current chair of the Dennis Hurley Center. She took over when Paddy Carney, our founding chair, passed away uh, uh, just, over, just under two years ago. Uh, but Ursula is, uh, is here not because she's our chair, and she's, but because she, she represents something which to me is really important. She is the principal of Holy Family College, one of the uh, wonderful schools we have here in Durban, and an example of the way in which educational institutions work with an organization like the Dennis Hurley Center and give young people an opportunity to see the truth of life. And one of the things I find fascinating, when young people come to volunteer at the Hurley Center from Holy Family College or from St. Henry's or DH, DHS or Crawford or, 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 or Clifton and so on, the most striking thing for them is they've never been in the center of the city before. Huh. Their lives yeah. are spent being, being uh, protected in suburbs. Uh, they only ever have seen shops in air-conditioned malls. And then they see the shops around here, the, the old-style old style, uh, 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 shop houses here, and they see the cathedral. And they're more likely to have visited a cathedral in France than to have visited our French-style cathedral here in, here in central Durban. So schools are a great way of giving young people opportunities to be challenged and to find out the reality of the city and the country in which they live. And, and, and uh, uh, Holy Family College and Ursula have been, uh, have been uh, up, uh, uh, up at the forefront of that. Ursula, welcome to the show. Ah, good morning, Michelle. Lovely to be there and thank you so much for this opportunity. Tell us about uh, your relationship uh, with Raymond in terms of the work that you're doing with the Dennis Holy Centre, Ursula. Uh, absolutely. In terms of the Dennis Hurley Center, I always maintain that it is truly the heart of, of our city. And, and when we say the heart, it really is the life and the blood and the, the beating of everything that takes place. Often uh, we, we don't go into the city, we bypass the city to go to the beachfront. And yet there is uh, the life of many marginalized uh, people, many people who need to have a voice. And so in that case, we find that um, having this interaction as a school community enables our children to participate not only as an outreach, but also to participate as a personal benefit to themselves. Um, you know, Ursula, one of the great things, of course, with the work that you're doing is that you are engaging young people when, I suppose one could say, when they are malleable, when they can make certain choices and decisions about which way or which road they're going to travel. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, you know, and part of, of our community spirit and value base is that we want to continuously teach our children the importance of community and the spirit of Ubuntu. Okay. Yeah. And 
in that an appreciation not of what you have, but rather an appreciation of what you have and how you can serve others. It definitely enhances our children's ability as well as staff, because our staff also participate in, in actively engaging in the Dennis Hurley Center. So here it en- enhances our world perspective. Um, sometimes we live in a very cocooned and protected environment, but coming to the Dennis Hurley Center enables all of us to have and to make a difference and to inspire each other in giving more than than um, just being present, but giving more of our soul, our spirit, and our emotions. Um, one of the things that is imperative also that we'd like to, to teach our children as well as ourselves is building the social skills hmm. because often our, our homeless forget their name. So we need to, we need to engage and ask, ask our, our people, what is your name? Because then it provides dignity. It provides a sense of who I am as a person and not be forgotten in, in this world. Yeah. And for, for us, it's very important because then it keeps a balanced habit. Yeah. Um, furthermore, one of the things that, that Ray, the Dennis Hurley Center has inspired our, our children and staff is also engaging uh, some of the, the, um, of the informal uh, segment as well as the homeless in coming and speaking to our children about how do they get to that point, yeah. what happened in their lives. And we have met um, many of our homeless who were civil engineers, who were mechanical engineers, who were in the courts, in the high courts, and, and how their lives were changed because of the choices they make. So it definitely is a two-way stream, allowing our our children to hear the voice of the voices and then to also become uh, real to the fact that the choices we make are the choices that we have to live with. So it is an education that works all around. Raymond, I need to ask you this. Given COVID-19, are you seeing more people um, coming in uh, and needing support? Yes. Yes. Um, what we're seeing in central Durban is people who are not homeless but are hungry um, because obviously uh, there are all kinds of ways in which people were just about surviving, making mm-hmm. enough uh, to, to feed their families uh, and which are not, uh, are not now working. So we've, uh, we've been working with the, the Deputy Mayor, Belinda Scott, uh, with a whole host of other NGOs to run a network of emergency shelters for homeless people for these first, what, 12 weeks now since, uh, since the start of lockdown. But we're now uh, scaling out of the, the, the formal shelters and instead looking at ways in which we can support people uh, with food and with, uh, uh, and with other ways of making sure that they, that they, uh, that they survive. Uh, yeah. but th- and, and clearly this is, this is long term. This, this is not a problem that's going to be solved in a, in a, in a few weeks. We're dealing with people, I suppose, who were, who, who weren't, who, 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 who were just on the bottom rung of the ladder and they've fallen off the ladder as well. Um, and what we really don't want is to increase what's already a very large number of homeless people in Durban to make that even higher. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say I'm really saddened some of the stories we've heard and the, the Church Land Project have done some really good research on this about even in the midst of this, people being evicted from uh, from uh, informal settlements and uh, and and being made homeless just at the point in which we're trying to uh, to to address the the people who are already homeless, which of course we understand to be completely illegal, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, yes. Um, very briefly, Ursula, because we need to to go to a break. And um, uh, Raymond also highlighted this. You are unusually a woman in a position of influence in the Catholic Church. Yes, yes, I am. Um, 
Why do you say unusually, though? Because I don't always. Uh, I always imagine that you don't always see women uh, who are in positions of power within, or not power. Power would be wrong, but but influence in the Catholic Church. Yeah, uh, one of the things is that uh, you know the church is definitely beginning to acknowledge the indispensable contribution which women can make in society. Yeah. And um, for example, the special concerns that women show for others, our pastoral responsibilities, helping and guiding families as well as society. There's lots that still needs to be done, but we all have our roles to play. And so, in within the church, uh, the voice of the woman is being heard, there's still lots to be done, but I do want to say that the church is acknowledging the the value of of us as women and um, the role that we play in the society. Uh, So, for example, uh, I'm actually the chairperson of the Council of Laity on a a national basis, and I have actually represented our country internationally as well. And, yeah. and there, uh, we had the opportunity to meet so many different women from various parts of the world and, and also engaging in the roles of us as women and, and the important role that we play in, in our church leadership. Um, we do have, as I say, lots to, to, to still do, but I do want to say and, and that, you know, faith is, is very important and our strength lies in our faith. Yeah. So we cannot we cannot deviate and say that this is power, but rather that God has given us a role to play, and by the strength of God, we are able to then fulfill the the work that He has set us to to actually fulfill. One but, of the things is also the moral compass. Ursula, I'm going to have to girl I'm, child and boy we, child. We have to leave it there because we need to go to a break. I want to say thank you to Ursula Collins, chair of the Dennis Hurley Centre. We go to a break and we'll come back after that. We're going to pull it underneath, but keep it going because it really is such a beautiful track. Melvin Peters and Holy, Holy, Holy. And Raymond, what a fantastic, I mean, side swing with that particular choice of song and your second guest. Well, one of the things I love about living in Durban is that it has a fantastically vibrant cultural life. And it's so easy to connect with the different artists and musicians and actors and dancers who are here. So Melvin has become a great friend. He's been a wonderful supporter of the Dennis Hurley Center, internationally renowned uh, jazz performer and also a church organist. Uh, And the way in that piece, he brings together jazz themes and, uh, and a traditional church hymn and turns into something so special. Melvin... A uh, jazz musician. I didn't know you played the organ. Oh, yes. It's, uh, hello, Michelle. How's um, it? <laughs> it is quite uh, something quite different. Yeah. Um, but it was just the way that um, my whole life evolved uh, musically, where I, I started off actually playing in church, and uh, not too many people know this. Yeah. Uh, at the young age of 11, and... Uh, I only discovered jazz uh, whilst I was at university. Uh, wow. So I've got the best of both worlds, actually, going. And, and tell me something. Playing the organ, is it like a whole different different experience? Yes, it is quite uh, a unique experience. Yeah, sure. uh, for starters, you're, you've got this amazing instrument which has such a great volume of sound and you are pretty much uh, in control of this. Um, But uh, it lends itself so beautifully within the context of uh, church service. And uh, I've 
got to be honest, I, I really am in heaven when I'm playing the organ as well. Now there's literally like... <laughs> 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 I, I want to ask both of you, we, we, we're going to be short of time, but I want to ask both of you, with COVID-19, obviously it means that um, religious spaces of this nature are... Um, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, are, you, are you Raymond? Have you have you closed the church? How how is it working? Yes. So the uh, the, the cardinal in uh, uh, for the for the Catholic churches in Durban has said, even though they can reopen, he's really reluctant to allow anyone to open yeah. until it's very very clear that they can be safe. I think there's an interesting parallel. Our churches are closed and our arts venues are closed, and they, and they both feed the soul in different ways. And uh, mm. we've been, thanks to technology, we've had, other, we've had ways of at least filling in for that, but it's not the same as being in those spaces. Which I suppose raises a very good question, and I'll put it to both of you. The concept of community. Um, as you say, Raymond, music, church, those kinds of things, they all feed the soul. It's very hard for people, particularly those who are on lockdown on their own. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the lack of touch? How do we deal with the, the idea that community is the physical? I think the, uh, so, so, so we clearly can't use touch in the way that we, we have in the past. Uh, but you reaching out to people, making phone calls to people on their own, um, uh, reminding people that you know they're around, you, they know you're around. And it's it's too easy to uh, uh, to be stuck on one's one's own track in this time. And and obviously we're all focused on surviving, and that's important. But uh, but we need to thrive as well as survive, and we need to make sure the people around us thrive as well. Uh, Melvin, how do you do it? Well, um, Michelle, essentially music has always been uh, a great way to connect with people on yeah. different levels. And um, on the positive side, you know, this has been um, a real opportune time for us as musicians and artists to, um, to reach out to people because uh, music is also healing as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, we we try to get our stuff online so that uh, people all over the world can can listen to us. And uh, the piece that, that I uh, recorded, um, "Holy Holy Holy," is, yeah. is a great example of uh, a piece that has been listened to by people all over the world, and people have really appreciated it. And through it, they've been able to draw closer to God as well. Melvin Peters, internationally renowned Durban jazz musician and also church organist at the Dennis Hurley Center. Raymond, we're going to close with you. We have a minute left, and I want to just ask you, purpose. Earlier we were talking to someone who was uh, transporting books. It's a very, very <laughs> interesting story. Transporting books to children all around Ethiopia on the backs of camels. I know, I heard. Fantastic story. And... I suppose the idea there is that if you have purpose, you can find a way. And I just want to briefly, as we close off, ask for you purpose. How do we find purpose? We find purpose by looking out, not looking in. If we, uh, if we look inwards, then, uh, then we become too self-absorbed. We find purpose by connecting with others, whether it's... Uh, uh, and, and, and my experience is the further you reach and the more you reach out beyond... The, your, your closest circle, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the deeper the purpose is that you find. It may be hard, it may be challenging to begin with, but that's where purpose comes. Raymond Perrier, 
it is always an absolute delight to speak to you. You really do know how to open our eyes to the world around us. Thank you so much for joining us. A real joy. Great to speak to you too, Michelle. Thanks. Director of the Dennis Hurley Centre, that's Raymond Perrier. Don't forget.